In today's show, we're talking about the Phoenix Suns, their season, an off-season of upheaval, perhaps, what it all means. Let's go, Michael Bolton. Thanks, Josh. It's Michael Bolton here, and it's time for another episode of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Let's get to it. Let's get to it. Indeed. You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball, your daily fantasy basketball podcast part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at basketballmonster.com. You can find me on Twitter as always at redrock underscore b-ball on TikTok at redrock underscore b-ball and on Instagram at locked on fantasy basketball. This episode is brought to you by Fanjul Sportsbook, official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit fanjul.com slash locked on today to get started. And thank you for making Locked On Fantasy Basketball your first listen every day. We are free. And we are available on all platforms. So I'm recording this before game seven of the Celtics and the Heat. So I don't know who's won. We'll find out the NBA Finals match up really soon. Um, I think Boston will get it, but I don't know. What a comeback. Um, I'm recording it after Nick Nurse has been hired by the Philadelphia 76ers. I'll talk more about that when we talk and do the Sixers season review show, which is coming up this weekend, maybe? It's coming up soon. Anyway, we'll talk more about Nick Nurse to Philadelphia later on. And... I think that's all, yeah. Oh, we've got more draft stuff coming this week as well. Tomorrow, I believe it is, we're going to be talking Cason Wallace, Keontae George, Ben Shepard, Bobby Clintman, Jordan Miller. Interesting prospects there, including two likely lottery players in Cason and Keontae George. Yesterday, I spoke with uh, Keandre from Hoop Intellect, and it was a great discussion, so go check that show out. Now, we are going to talk Phoenix Suns, so warning. Let's get it on, Gilly. <laughs> <laughs> all right. You might have seen me tweet it out yesterday. Somehow, I uh, a couple of nights ago, dislocated my rib cartilage during my sleep. So it's not particularly comfortable. It's really hard to sleep. It's not bad during the day. It's just, I don't know if anyone's ever had that sort of issue. It's like, it's this aching, dull pain that sort of sits in your core. You can't like touch it. You can't pinpoint it. It just sits there. And it's just your whole like chest, front and back. It's the back of my ribs that have dislocated off my spine. Um, got it re, re, you know, put back into place yesterday. But I'm running on very, very few hours sleep for the last three nights. Hopefully, it starts to improve over the couple of days. But it's, uh, it's not a fun injury. I know that much. Let's talk Phoenix Suns. Um, yeah, so if I'm looking, if I'm sitting weird on a weird angle or if I get something wrong because I've slept 10 hours in three nights, that's why. The Phoenix Suns. Um, obviously a team that came into the season with some interesting hopes. Well, interesting offseason. We didn't know whether DeAndre Ayton would be back. We heard rumors of them trading for Kevin Durant. Ayton was back. They didn't trade for Durant. And then they did later on in the season. And I actually thought that they could win the title. Once they got Durant, I thought, all right, this team I think is going to win. I was wrong. Lots of things happened. DeAndre Ayton was DeAndre Ayton. Chris Paul got hurt. There was zero depth whatsoever. No chemistry. Although I think probably the depth is more important than the chemistry. Um, but I think they're going to go into next season with a real chance to be the title favorites again. But, well, not, or at least close to it. But it's going to depend on what the hell they do. Because there are a lot of questions. A lot of the numbers we look at for this Suns team aren't massively indicative. 
indicative. Yeah, that's the word as we move forward. 45 and 37, 12th best net rating, plus 1.3. 17th on offense, 9th on defense, but Durant didn't play. Like, he just didn't play. He came across, he played like two games, hurt his ankle in warm-ups, came back, played four or five games at the end of the season. That's it. We saw some moments in the playoffs, but it was just him and Booker carrying everything. So we don't know what this team looks like in a regular season with those two guys for extended periods of time. Interestingly, they're well, not really that interesting because it was the best lineup that included players who are still on their roster. It did have Durant in it, despite those low minutes. Plus 15.5, Paul, Booker, Akogi, Durant, and Aiton, which was the starting lineup they ran with most of the time. I think what we've saw towards the end of the regular season and through the playoffs is that you, you can't have Josh Akogi as a, as a starter, I don't think. I don't think he's good enough for that. And then they've got the two other question marks bookending that lineup. Chris Paul and DeAndre Ayton. Are they going to be back? I have significant doubts about all of that. Let's talk free agency, though. At the moment, they are $18 million over the cap. There are quite a few players on this team who are upcoming free agents. Bismack Biombo, Tony Warren Jr., the aforementioned Josh Okogie, Damian Lee. You've also got um, uh, Ish Wainwright with a team option. There is also Terrence Ross as an unrestricted free agent. And then on the restricted guys, there's Jock Landale, who um, there's a real chance that he is playing a big role for this team. I don't think that'll be the case, but there is a chance. The other one is Darius Baisley, who they got in that trade for Sharich and then never played him. And I don't think they'll be bringing him back. But Landau's an interesting one because if they do move on for Aiden, are they trading him for another center? Are they going to give Landau a shot to be the starter? I highly doubt it. But maybe they just can't get someone in to be that guy that replaces Aiden or Aiden stays. But Landau, I think, yeah, will come back and I think he will establish himself as the primary backup. They won't worry about this back and forward. They went with Landau and Biombo all season. So I think Landau's in line for a decent year with a 2% chance of big, big upside. I don't think it gets there, because that would mean they're saying he's our starter, and I don't think that's what they'll do. But it's not it's not completely insane. It's a little bit insane. It's not completely insane. The Suns draft is going to be bad because this team does not care about the draft. They don't scout any players. Their, their front office doesn't care whatsoever. They've traded all their future draft picks. I think, you know, I, I know they fired Monty Williams, and at the at this point, they don't have a replacement head coach. Um, I would have fired James Jones, honestly, before Monty Williams. Obviously, Williams' uh, issues and the, the way that the team was blown out twice in the playoffs, in games, you know, closing out games, and the fact that there were relationship issues with both Jay Crowder and Dion Rayton, which cost them this season. Yes, that's a black mark against uh, Williams for sure. But I think a lot of the James Jones stuff is pretty iffy. The Landry Shamit extension, the way that even the whole situation with Aiton played out, the fact that they devote no resources to um, scouting or the draft whatsoever. They make wild picks. I don't know. There's a lot, lot of weird stuff. And now you throw in the Matt Ishbia of it all, the new owner who... Is, is he going to... What's he going to do? Is he, is he going to employ Isaiah Thomas? I feel like he is. Is Isaiah Thomas going to be the head coach? Or what are they going to do? Now, he, not. He's not going to be the head coach. But there's just way too much Isaiah Thomas for my liking. And we'll see what they do. They are going to get a G League team, which is good because, again, they do not give a single shit about development at all. Draft picks, G League, nothing. They don't care. They would go through their season often with like no two-way guys or a 14-man roster with one two-way guy never playing. There were plenty of... And they're all, nearly always the team that heads into the season the last to sign two-way guys. Like, 
Here's 14 guys in our roster, and that's it. Not even extended camp rosters, nothing. They just don't care about the back end of things. And I think that is going to lead to some problems in the future. I think that can be a problem. But as I said, they've got pick 52. Well, I didn't say it. I'll say it now. They've got only pick 52 in this draft, according to my mock draft, dat- mock draft, mock draft database. That would be Nikola Jurisic, who I spoke about last week, a guy that had some horrific shooting numbers, sort of a 6'8 wing, who played quite a bit of like point guard, point forward, um, but motor questions and shooting questions. Even if the Suns draft him there, they, they, he won't play. They don't care. They don't develop. They don't do anything. So it doesn't really matter what they do. They probably won't even end up with that pick. They'll sell it off or something. I don't think they'll do anything with that. So I don't think that's much to worry about. Today's episode is brought to you by Fangio. Right now, you can make a fast break to Fangio during the NBA playoffs and the NBA finals, which are, again, set now that you listen to this. I don't know who's in it. I know Denver's in it, but we'll find out about the other one later on today, yesterday, when you listen to this. New customers on Fangio can get a no-sweat first bet up to $2,500. Hang on a second. That didn't used to be. $2,500 now. All right. That's $2,500 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Is this right? $2,500. It used to be... Wasn't it $1,000? Okay. Fair enough. We've got $2,500 now on a no-sweat first bet on Fangio. So, you want to go have a look and check out your odds for finals MVP for the championship. At the moment... The Nuggets are favorite. The Celtics are second favorite because, again, the game hasn't started, but they think Celtics are going to win. But Denver is still the favorite for um, the NBA Finals. And you can check all that out at FanDuel. Same game parlays as well. No better place to bet the playoff action than America's number one sportsbook. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to get a no-sweat first bet up to $2,500. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel is the official sports betting partner of the NBA. Don't forget to gamble responsibly. So let's um, let's talk some players. Let's start by talking about Kevin Durant because he's their best fantasy player. He was this season on a per-game basis, the third-ranked player, 30th in totals because he only played 47 games. He was 10th in points leagues. He had an ADP of 6. I think ADP of 6 doesn't... That's weird to me because I think in nearly every... Oh, no, that's true. He's going about four four or five most drafts. That makes sense. Um, I find it really hard to take him top five. I know he's good, but he's 35. He played 36 minutes a night with 29 usage. I don't really have any concern with Booker and Durant getting their numbers playing together. I don't have any concern with that. Durant doesn't need 35 usage to be an excellent fantasy player. We saw that again this season. Only 29 usage. We saw it in the playoffs. They can work together. It's fine. It's more that I wouldn't want to take him pick five because of the age and because um, his body is starting, not to break down necessarily, but it takes long longer to get back from injuries. He didn't look... In the past, when he comes back from injuries, he looks infallible. Didn't happen this year as much, especially coming back from the ankle. He didn't look Kevin Durantish straight away. And while he's excellent, at age 35... He, there might be a 2% drop-off. For any other player, it's a 30% drop-off at this age. Much like LeBron. Like, LeBron has been excellent, but at age 35, 36, we just saw a little bit fall away. And that could very easily happen to Durant. So I just don't think I'd take him top five. He's still averaged 29 points, six rebounds, five assists, 1.4 blocks, 56, 40, and 92, like insane shooting numbers. He's 98th percentile on EPM, sixth overall in Darko. He's still unbelievably good. 
There's no question about that. I just don't think I'd feel comfortable top five. First round, yeah, probably I would. But at this point, we have to be really concerned about um, the age. It's not not sort of the age. It's more the age related to injuries, which are really starting to pile up with Durant now. You can see he had that MCL injury when he was a member of the Brooklyn Nets, came back, played two games for the Suns, hurt his ankle, came back, played four or five at the end of the year. He's consistently good. He's not a top five fantasy points league player anymore. That's okay. And I don't think we should view him that way. But we know that he's great in his category leagues. His EPM, it did drop as as he joined Phoenix. You can see there's a dotted line in the middle of that graph, which is the Brooklyn trade. And then it started to drop as the season went on. And then it did drop a little bit in the playoffs. He was still good, but he wasn't quite peak, peak, peak Kevin Durant. Because the next guy was the guy who was the better player during the playoffs. And that was Devin Booker. Now, it was there's some great illustrations in the NBA playoffs of the way, and I talk about this a lot during the season about media narratives and consuming stuff off social media. And we talk about Devin Booker having these insane games in those two against the Nuggets, where he, what games three and four was it? Where he, what they won those two games, and people said, "Man, look at this, it's amazing." But he shot literally eighty percent in those games, which are numbers that have zero chance of ever sticking long term. And then he had some off games, and it fell away. But you don't hear about those games as much. You hear about, man, Devin Booker's cooking. He's carrying this team. Is Devin Booker a top five player in the NBA? That all gets thrown out. And then when Devin Booker shoots 19% in one game, it's not like, man, is he the worst player in the world? And then so you have that idea when Booker was cooking. And again, maybe I look stupid saying this now because game seven hasn't happened, but it happened with Jimmy Butler. Man, playoff Jimmy. All right, Jimmy had some stinking games in the playoffs, like some really bad games. He had some really good games, but when he has the stinking games, it doesn't really get brought up as this part of what he's able to do. Or it doesn't, you know, it's like playoff Rondo. Yeah, Rondo had some great games in the playoffs. He also was dreadful in other ones, but we don't care about those ones. So when we're looking at narratives that get created and then that burns into your head, it's important to be able to take both sides of it. And I say that to say that Booker put up huge numbers with Durant in the playoffs, but it wasn't every game. And that's sort of where we need to sit. We don't need to think about it. He's not quite at that elite, elite level. He was 24th on per-game basis in category leagues, 24th in points, 29th in minus one, had an ADP of 16. So probably a little bit disappointing. Not really, but yeah, a little bit. Half a round, that's not too bad. He's 26, 53 games. He had that hamstring injury as well. You'll see the gaps in his graph later on. 35 minutes, 31 usage, 28 points, five and a half assists, a steal, 49, 35, and 86. Booker's an interesting player that we think that he's his three-point bomber, but he's never had consistent high three-point percentage, like Trey Young. Same thing. We think of them as three-point assassins, but they're not. They don't take huge amounts. Well, Trey takes a lot of them, doesn't go in at a huge amount. Booker doesn't take a huge amount of threes. I think if that was to happen, he became a 39% three-point shooter and hitting him like Curry, or even taking McCurry's volume, then he would become a top 12 player, but I'm not sure that he ever gets there. One thing to watch with Booker is if Chris Paul is not back on this team, Regardless of who, they're not going to make Devin Booker the full-time point guard. But regardless of who comes back, I expect Devin Booker's assist numbers to rise. Because there are very few players in the NBA who dominate the shot creation the way Chris Paul does. So another point guard might come back and they might be a seven assist player. Booker might be a six and a half guy. He's right heading into his peak. I think that he easily beats 24 next season, even with Durant there for a full season. Usage doesn't need to change from 31. It's more about getting five and a half assists to go to six and a half. Maybe you get a little boost in three-point percentage. 
but really it's just overall a slight efficiency tweak and it's assist rising. I'm really, really not really confident, but because it's going to depend on what happens with Chris Paul, but I do think that's my expectation for Booker next season. He was 24th in Darko, 95th percentile EPM. You can see the graph. He continues to get better and better and better. Although this year, he did his uh, Darko number did start to drop in the middle of the season, and he had that hamstring injury where I think they mismanaged it. He came back, he got hurt. He came back, he got hurt. Then he had ages off, like a month and a half, and came back and put up big numbers as well. But that hurt in the middle of the season with that hamstring, which again I believe was mismanaged. You don't come back twice and re-injure it twice. That's that's poor. Just take that extra week off. Um, he was on the EPM graph. You can see how he, Durant's EPM graph dropped during the playoffs. Booker's rose, and he was great. He was great. But again, as I mentioned, look at those the last two lines on that, how it did start to tail off because the last couple of games in that series, he was quite bad, and the shots just didn't go in. But we remember in our head, Devin Booker, top five player because he hit 80% in two games, and he was unbelievable in those games. So just while I am saying that I think he'll be better next season... Would you have to be really cautious about reading too much into some of those uh, playoff performances? All right, Chris Paul. Um, legend of the game. One of the best point guards ever. But where are we? He's 38. Like 46th per game, 69th in totals, 48th in point season, ADP of 36. Played 59 games, hurt in the playoffs again. 32 minutes, 19 usage. It was definitely a down season. Be a 38. That's what you expect. And I don't know where Chris Paul is going to be playing next season. I don't know if he's going to be on this team, but I feel relatively confident that we won't get a usage spike or we won't get a minute spike. He averaged 14 points only, shot 38% from three, but no, not high volume. His free throws down to 83%. 8.9 assists, 1.5 steals. Everything is coming back. And I think he's probably going to be more in a 31, 30 and a half minute role next season with maybe 18 usage. As you get older, maybe he plays 30 minutes a night. Maybe he goes on the Mike Conley diet of 29 minutes a night. I would be very surprised, irrespective of team, very surprised if Chris Paul's a top 50 player next season. And I know that's not a bold call because he was 46th and 48th in points. Let's just say top 60. I don't think I would draft him in the first five rounds. Throw in age. I don't know where he's going to be, but we'll have that sorted out by then. Injury concerns because of age and recovery time frame, and just the natural decline as you get older. He was still really good. 26th in Darko, 91st percentile EPM. Don't get me wrong, he's not trash, but he's not Chris Paul, Chris Paul anymore. And you can see that it's a very standard aging curve on that Darko graph. Up, peak, 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 drop, 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 drop. And that's just where it's headed. You can't, you can't defeat that unless you're LeBron. And even him, it does drop. And when we get to the Lakers season review, which is coming up soon, We'll see. LeBron's does go down as well. That's what happens. Chris Paul, again, a couple of missed, missed periods of time in the middle there. Obviously missed time in the playoffs. He was still good. But there's no way we're burning a round three or round four pick on him. I don't think I'll do a round five on him. I think this might be the season that we see significant drops in Chris Paul. We saw we already seen some significant drops, but he averaged under 14 points. Like, I think we're getting to the Mike Conley portion. That's That's sort of how I see it. EPM is still a really positive player. He's still useful, but the... I wouldn't say the fit is weird with him and Booker and Durant, but someone needs to take more threes. They just do. You can't have everyone just taking twos the whole time or mid-rangers. Someone's got to take some threes. And none of those players are particularly interested in doing that. 
And I just, yeah, I just, it doesn't feel like Chris Paul is going to return to this team. I don't know how it works or where he goes, but it does not feel like he'll be back. And then that leads to the question of, do they replace him in-house? Do they think Cameron Payne can do it? Are they trading him for another point guard? Who is trading another point guard that's equivalent or an upgrade? Are they signing a point guard? Is it Fred Van Vliet? Can they afford that? I, I don't know. That's where this is going to be interesting to see how James Jones approaches all this. But there are huge question marks. And there are huge question marks question marks with this bloke as well. DeAndre Ayton. Um, okay, I'll say a couple of things about Ayton. 54th in category leagues, 59th in points. He's an ADP of 39, which is, is reasonable. It's it's reasonable to have assumed that yeah he could he could have returned that value. He didn't, but it's reasonable to have assumed that. But there's just something about this guy that's irritating to me. He irritated me as soon as he entered the NBA when so many of his comments were like, oh man, I just can't wait to get my second contract. That's my aim. Um, the whole second contract thing that happened with his restricted free agency, the way that he plays is so... Oh, it's just... Some of it is Suns-related, and he, he's had better seasons than this, but can't block shots anymore. Efficiency's down. Doesn't draw free throws. Doesn't ever attempt to shoot out and stretch threes. Plays with a lack of urgency. I think defensively he lost a bit. But I say all of that to say, right? he's not 25. Now, I, I would never have picked him number one in that draft. I think I had him at three or four, right? Which is still okay. And he's still good and serviceable. But he's been a disappointment. Once more, in saying all of this, he clearly did not want to be in Phoenix this season. He clearly has issues with Monty Williams. And the last two years, well, last three years, 31 minutes, 30 minutes, 31 minutes a game. Or 30 minutes a game. 22 usage, where he was at 24 back in the 19-20 season. That was the season he got suspended. He averaged 18 and 12 with one and a half blocks. But he averaged 18 and 10 this season. 18 points, really, really good, right? 49, 59% shooting strong. He was at 63 last season. So part of the reason he was drafted at the start of the fourth round was getting that real big boost in field goals. And he was still good at it. And as I'll always say, like 59% is a great number. It's a great boost. It's a Z score of like 1.8. But last year, you were getting 2.6. So you go from 63, elite, to 59, very good. And that's where you lose value. And the blocks. He used to be able to get 1.5 a game. He's at 0.8. Just no urgency at all. 101st in Darko, 74th percentile EPM. You can see he did start to peak on his Darko, but it did, has dropped off quite a bit. Now, this is all a preamble for me to say, I wouldn't be surprised, right, as I look under my feet to see that Obi's left me a toy. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Aiden is on another team. And there are so many easy ways for him to be a top 20 player. And the number one thing you look at is, 30 minutes a game. 30 minutes a game. Play 34. Why not? Why couldn't he play 34, average 20 and 11 and a half, get back to 1.2 blocks, show some level of urgency, get to the line maybe one, two times a game? Like, if this guy was the 22nd best player next season, wouldn't be shocked at all. It's not hard to get there. Just honestly give him three more minutes. And then more confidence, more blocks, more free throw attempts. It could easily happen. It is 
and it, it was bad for him in the playoffs. There's no doubt about that. He had the injury in the playoffs as well. It wasn't good for him. And I still, he's not anywhere near my favorite player. I don't think he's particularly strong or influential or good or anything. I think he's okay. But it's all about what happens here. So if I'm in a dynasty league, there might be an opportunity for him to have four or five top 35 seasons, top 30 seasons coming up. Whereas if he stayed in Phoenix, I wouldn't think that would happen at all. So there might be a little bit of a buy low here. Again, 30 minutes a night. Is this not enough? And that part of that is co- maybe a new coach. Maybe he stays there, a new coach plays him more. That's possible too. But there is a real chance of A, him staying in Phoenix and a new coach playing him 33, already a, a 10 spot jump probably happening. Or going to a new team, playing 33 minutes a night and seeing a usage spike to 25, 26 and becoming a top 20 player. Don't love him as a player. Don't get me wrong. I'm not spruiking for DeAndre Ayton, but there are very clear pathways here for him to be better than this, I believe. Or he could just continue to be passive as shit and not do anything, which would be frustrating. You can see his EPM graph there. There's not a huge standout thing that we need to look at on that. And then after those four blokes, well, I wouldn't blame you if you clicked off the show now because there's not much going on. Tory Craig was the next best player. Yeah, gross. He did start some games when Durant was injured. 180th in category leagues. Never drafted, really. Didn't have an ADP, but was drafted in some midseason drafts. For, uh, drafted in 3% of leagues. He's 32. He played 25 minutes a night, and that is a really good indicator of the lack of depth. It's Tory Craig's playing 80 games, 25 minutes. 13% usage, 7 points, 5 rebounds, shot 39% from 3. Uh, Darko ranked him uh, 481st, which is shocking, obviously. LeBron, 13th percentile. Look at that, just the decline, the decline, the decline. Playing him that many minutes. He used to be a solid 3 and D player, but never great, and it's dropped way off. And the fact that you were relying upon him for so many minutes is, again, a, a I think a real criticism of the way this roster was built. I know they had to trade away a lot of depth to get Durant, but even then, the lack of the lack of uh, development of younger players on the roster who can come up and do stuff, he was pretty poor, I think. I don't know whether Tory Craig returns, but I do know that it doesn't really impact things at all. Started to drop off a bit in the playoffs, and just yeah, he he's thirty two. He's never an elite player. The defense has dropped. The shooting is up and down. This is maybe a play we pay a little bit of attention to, and it's Cameron Payne, who's had a wild career. Lottery pick. Russell Westbrook's backup, some real potential. I really liked him as a player. Shitful stuff in Chicago, out of the league, dominates the Mavericks Summer League team, comes back in, plays really well in the bubble, turns into a legitimate NBA backup point guard who can start and be okay, and then has started to drop off again. 233rd in category leagues, 189th in points leagues. Some reason, some people drafted him in standard leagues. I don't really know why. He's 29. He played 20 minutes a game with 25 usage, but... Is there any chance that this team, the Phoenix Suns, goes into next season and goes, we'll try Cameron Payne as our starting point guard? Chris Paul's gone. We got out of that contract. We bought some other depth pieces in, whatever. I don't think Cameron Payne will be a starter, but I know that if he is, he's draftable. Or 100% he's draftable. 10 points, four and a half assists in 20 minutes, 37% from three, 77 from the line. His advanced numbers are okay ish. They're not great. 260th in Darko. You can see that little spike on his graph and then it started to drop off from there. He's still serviceable, but with that giant question mark with Chris Paul, 
Payne's always someone to watch, whether it is as a full-time starter or as a guy that might start 30 games. Now, he missed a bunch of time himself when yeah, Booker was out and, and then Paul was out at times where he could have had an opportunity to get some minutes. But he missed with his foot injury. Mass- He's had foot injuries in the past as well. I think when he was with the Thunder early on in his career, he had a foot injury, which cost him a lot of time. And he lost a lot of time here in the middle of the year and then came back and was relatively limited towards the end of the season. But he had some big games early on. You can see that on that graph as well. But he's a name to watch just because of the uncertainty around Chris Paul. Started off the season well and got an EPM, dropped off a bit. I thought he was, I think, I still think he started games in the playoffs. I think he's still serviceable enough to be considered their backup, but I don't think they'd want to feel particularly comfortable going into the year with him as their starter. Damian Lee. 268th in category leagues, 291st in points. He's 31. He's an unrestricted free, always 30, unrestricted free agent. 20 minutes a game, 16 usage, shot 45% from three. He's one of two players on this team who had a higher three-point percentage than field goal percentage. 44.5 versus 44.2. He hit one and a half threes. And when we talk about three-pointers and trying not to overvalue them too much in drafts and saying how easy they are to stream, they are. Like one and a half threes a game, which is what Damian Lee provides is basically an average contribution in that category. Can't really find average contributors in categories just widely available. But he doesn't, obviously doesn't do anything else. Great free throws, never gets there. His advanced numbers aren't particularly strong. Part of, Maybe that's part of the reason he started to lose out towards the end of the season and started to lose minutes despite the excellent shooting. And again, when you get to 30, there's a sort of a role play. You do start to lose a little bit. And that's pretty reflective in the Darko stuff there. Again, not someone they should be banking on moving forward. And he played tons early on and then started to be you know, pushed out of the rotation towards the end of the season, which again, I thought was a weird choice, but he was one of the guys who copped it when Durant arrived. Great shooter, struggles in other areas, a little bit older, probably moving into a are you part of the rotation or not phase of his career. Let's talk about a guy who did have multiple opportunities to be a fantasy relevant player this year, and that's Josh Kogi. 292nd, though, overall in per-game numbers. 243rd in points leagues. He's not yet 25, so he's still young. 72 games, 19 minutes, 17 usage. The numbers don't look very good. 7 points, 0.9 threes, 0.8 steals. 34 from 3, 39 from the field, 72 from the line. All that was rough. But there was a, a time when they traded everybody. When Johnson was gone and Bridges was gone. Crowder obviously was out of there, but he never played anyway. Durant was hurt, and Akogi was getting tons of minutes, and he did the thing. He did the thing, and by the thing, I mean, I don't have a good name for, but when you're given these extra minutes and extra opportunity, and then you turn in a hot shooting streak at the same time. So he was shooting like 42, 43% from three in those games where he was starting, where Durant was out, when the minutes were up, and then it started to crash, because he's not a good shooter. Again, like I said with Tory Craig, you wouldn't want to go into the season, I don't think, with Akogi as one of your starters. But defensively, he's a really good player. Some of his advanced metrics are pretty good. 92nd in Darko, 80th percentile EPM. They're pretty good. But it's all on the back of defense. And he did take some real steps forward. I am in no circumstance ready to believe in it, that he is that player. And I know that he's not a good fantasy option. He just got by on some high-level shooting on a team that didn't have Kevin Durant. And you can see those big spikes there early in the season. He wasn't even in the rotation every game. And then he had these big spikes. And then it did all start to cool off because that shooting couldn't maintain. And it's also reflected in the EPM graph. You can see that's the Durant 
injuries. Look how high the numbers are. Impact, impact, and then yeah, we're back to being Josh Okogie. So he is an unrestricted free agent. I think they'll bring him back. He's a useful rotation piece who can start at times, but that little run he had of being a useful fantasy player, I just don't think there's any realistic moving you know, moment of that moving forward. He's 25, maybe he changes my mind. But he's not someone I go, yeah, you know what? They're going to they're going to the season with uh, Kogi as a starter. I'll draft him with my last pick. I wouldn't. I just don't think the upside is there for that to happen. Nor do I think it is for the next guy, Landry Shamit, who I just think is quite a bad fantasy player. I don't think he's particularly good in real life either, but he does have moments occasionally. 285th in per game numbers. He's 26. He played 20 minutes a night, 19 usage. He hit 37.5 from three as well. 37.5 overall with his field goal percentage. So another one of those players. His three-point percentage is higher than his two. He hit two threes a game, well above average contributor in that category, but nothing else. Nine points, under two rebounds, two assists, 0.7 steals, 74th percentile EPM. He's good shooting, but he struggles in so many other areas. So even if they decided, hey, we'll go with Landry Shamet as our starting point guard, disgusting decision because he can't pass, or he was a starter next to Booker and Durant or whatever, there's just so little in what he's able to do. And you can see the fluctuations in his Darko graph, but never, never really getting close to zero. He had a couple of little moments where he had a couple of stretches above zero, but realistically, no. He's just an overall, I think, negative player who they gave a bad contract to and is inconsistent and he's hurt as well. Now, he had an opportunity when Booker got hurt in the middle of the season and he also got hurt and never played. Through that Christmas, January period, just didn't get that opportunity to show anything. I don't think he would have shown anything, but he's also not somewhere where I go, let's lock in. There's the futures coming for Landry Shamet. I do not really believe in him as a long-term option. The EPM graph shows a couple little spikes, but you know injuries and Landry Shamiting means that his numbers dropped off. All right, Tony Warren, a guy that has been a fantasy star in the past. Star? Star? Is that harsh? I don't know. Not harsh. Is it too much? There were people that were marginally interested in him in Brooklyn, but it had been almost two years since he played. The role wasn't really there. He came to Phoenix and the role was there and he couldn't get the minutes. I fear at age 30, much like Otto Porter at age 30, I fear they are done. It's just too many lower body injuries to push through this. Warren played 16 minutes a game in 40 to 42 games, only 19 usage. He shot only 33 from three. And part of the selling point on TJ Warren in his career was like he's a 56% shooter. He was at 49, which is still good. But when you don't really do huge amounts else, it does hurt. Like low assist rate, incredibly low assist rate. Not much steals and blocks. Impact metrics were all really low. I just don't... They were calling out for him to fill in that gap and he could not do it. And outside of a couple of interesting spike games when he was a member of the Brooklyn Nets, which you can see on the next graph early on, there was very little that TJ Warren was doing that makes me think, A, that they should bring him back, or B, that he's ever going to have an impact again in the NBA. I just think the multiple foot injuries have robbed him of any chance of that. That little run he had in the bubble was obviously insane, but that's it. We've got bubble Warren, and it's, it's never coming back. So no matter what happens to him, whatever team he goes to, I am not putting any faith uh, in TJ Warren. Should we put some faith in the big fella, Jock Landale? I don't know. 300th in category leagues, 28. He is now a restricted free agent. 69 games, 14 minutes, 19 usage, 6 points, 4 rebounds, 0.4 blocks, 53-25-75 shooting splits, 81st percentile EPM, 67th in estimated wins. You can see the line trending up a little bit. 
Some pretty strong moments in the playoffs as well. And uncertainty around Aiton. But like I said with the Cameron Payne situation, if they move on from Chris Paul, do you think they'd really feel comfortable going in with Cameron Payne as a starter? And if they moved on from Deionra Aiton, do we really think they'd be comfortable going into the season with Jock Landale? Jack, Jack. Um, I don't think they would. I think Landale is a pretty solid player. He's at least, again, as I said earlier, established himself as the backup. But I, I don't think that this is a future starter in the making. He's 27. He's right basically in his prime. Second year in the NBA. I think he looks good at times, but it's one to monitor. Both him and Payne are players to monitor based on what happens with Paul and Aiton. But you wouldn't feel good if you're Phoenix saying, All right, we're set. Landale, Payne, there are starters around Booker and Durant. That makes you way worse than what you were this season. He's a name, he's a name to watch. A few little moments. One thing that did happen, though, is that when Aiden got injured, what Monty Williams would do would start Bismack Biombo and keep Landale in the exact same reserve role. But I think if that was to happen, and say Aiden sticks, but going into next season, if Aiden is out, then Landale will start and play 28 minutes. That's how I think is probably the what I think is going to be the major difference for him. He was able to get some minutes in the playoffs. His production dropped. Uh, fair enough. Playing against Jokic, he's at least marginally interesting. More interesting to me than like a Tory Craig. Um, or even a Landry Shamet. There's a little bit more upside with him, but he's 27. He, I don't think he can be a full-time starter. But I wouldn't rule out that he gets a chunk of starts next season, and their decision of what they do at center is, is going to be key. And that will do it for me today. Follow this podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and on the Odyssey app. Hopefully we get news on who Phoenix hires as a coach really soon. That'd be great. On YouTube, thumb it up. Leave your comments down below, guys. We are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.